0: You're listening to the podcast Detroit Network. visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: Welcome back to another page Turner with Big Dog and little stuff. I'm Stephanie Menard.
0: I am Tom Hutchison.
1: And we're back.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and like I- on
0: time, like two weeks in a row or two shows in a row.
1: I know. like, like
0: it's almost professional.
1: 2020 is the year man so far i don't want to jinx anything again see i should never make definitive statements like
0: yeah you got got wood to knock on somewhere
1: uh there's a yes yes there's a little wooden table here and it has been sufficiently knocked on (laughs) so how have you been since the last time we talked
0: uh pretty good pretty good uh still out here west coast side arizona for another month but um you know we're we're wrapping up the Kickstarter in uh, like eight days, and uh, you know, working on getting the uh, the previous Kickstarter shipped. And, you know, just just work, you know, comics don't stop as they say, and that's the truth.
1: <laughs> so true. So true. But I mean, hey, like, you all these people are going to be getting some sweet stuff in the mail soon because you're working yeah. on shipping stuff out, which is always good. It's like Christmas when you get a Kickstarter package.
0: I, I hope so. That's sort of the goal. Yeah. Especially with Kickstarters, because usually you get like all kinds of little extra things that, you know, you, know you, you unlock along the way, whether it's trading cards or stickers or, you know, whatever. You get bonus swag for being part of the campaigns
1: which is always good. Everybody yeah. likes free stuff. Come on. Yeah. Come yeah. on. <laughs> I, I do personally, but I mean cool free stuff, not just like, you know, random free stuff cuz somebody yes. if somebody's like, "Here, I have a like a a random bedpan. Do you want it like for free?" No, thank you. I don't need a free bedpan. I'm... It's not going
0: to work for your aesthetic, for your cons, for mm. your your
1: <laughs> No. No. <laughs> No, I don't think you so. just
0: like put it on the floor, just like you know. There's a bedpan, y'all. Yeah, come on in.
1: Uh, make it a conversation piece,
0: <laughs> right? Hey, why is there a bedpan in front of your booth? Well, thank you for asking. Let me tell you about my comic.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that would work. They'd probably just think I was insane. But you know, hey, I, there's uh, a little truth to that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, um well my last couple of weeks have been pretty good um i got some kind of stomach bug though other than that um you know everything's been good uh getting closer and closer to uh aeonian three getting to kickstarter i've got almost all the art in so um yeah that's that's just what i've been waiting on (laughs) that's my next you know big dive in and uh my new publisher is getting stuff ready to be put out digitally under their banner, which is really cool. So, yep. um, I've had a lot of people asking me about the trade for psychopath, which because it's already finished and I sold out at my last convention, I'm not reordering any until the, my publisher's ready to print it because it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, sure. So we're going to be out of that for a while, but when it comes back out, uh, it'll be, you know, it'll have the publisher logo and I think we're going to add a couple of things to it and should be kind of cool. So it'll be worth the wait if yeah. if, the, if people are looking for that. But uh, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. Other than that, let's see. No, nope, I got nothing. Just. Uh,
0: <laughs> OK, I guess we're done.
1: I know. That's the end of the show, guys. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, I guess we should start off with Discovery because we were talking – well, you brought it up on Facebook uh, yesterday or the day before, whatever. Star
0: Trek Discovery. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Star Trek Discovery. My bad. (laughs) For the people that don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The people that don't live in our heads, it's Star Trek.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, So I didn't – really hear anything about any backlash from fans until like i saw that you mentioned something and there were certain people they were you know typing certain uh comments most people were in favor of discovery which you know those are my people but yep. <laughs> uh but there's you know there's a couple people that you know like yeah it's good if you don't like actually like star trek and and so i went down the rabbit hole which is
0: nonsense that's nonsense
1: I, oh i totally agree and we're gonna and we're gonna get to why i'm assuming this person said it but um so i you know i go online and i you know google like why do people not like star trek discovery because i had no clue it was that was a thing and it seems like most people are upset because it's supposed to be a prequel to the next generation
0: uh prequel to the original series
1: oh sorry sorry the original series my bad and but the technology is so much more advanced than what they had on the original series so people are like upset about like the ships the technology like they're saying it's not it's not accurate it's like they're they're really delving deep like these are people who are super into you know the canon and like you know that's that's cool but Okay,
0: so let me. I'm going to let you keep going, but I'm going to jump in right here again with a that's nonsense. (laughs) <laughs> and I'll tell you why later. But go ahead, continue your point.
1: Um, well, yeah, I, I'm I'm almost done with it because I, I just okay. kind of I I just kind of found it it's, a little ludicrous because yeah,
0: yeah. So here's the thing, and, and here's here's uh, we'll try and wrap up all the problems in a very quick thing, and then we'll tell you why you're all wrong. Um, <laughs> so basically, yeah, it's a, it's a prequel to the original series, set I don't know how many years it's supposed to be, uh, something like. Uh, 10 years or something before Kirk, supposedly, something like that. Um, But when you see it, all of the tech is, of course, higher grade than what we saw in the show from the 1960s, people. Come on. (laughs) The 60s. Are you telling me honestly that you want your ships to look like they're made out of cardboard and plastic in the year 2020 just because that's what it looked like in 1960? Let's all upgrade a little bit. Let's let's accept that you can have the enterprise, which spoiler alert, the enterprise does appear in Discovery. Uh, <laughs> we can have a USS Enterprise that has a general resemblance to what was happening in the 1960s. Remember that 1960s. But, you know, <laughs> it's got a little bit of an upgrade to it. it it's it's more it's created for modern sensibilities. Um similar to what they did with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. So you took the Enterprise, and it has your basic, you know, nacelles and and all the basic design, but it's just kind of upgraded for a better visual aesthetic for the time period that it's being produced in, and that's Discovery. Um, Now, we will say that Discovery itself has all kinds of bat crap technology that clearly we never heard about or saw in the original series. Mm -hmm. I give them all of that. I give it all to you. That That is fact. However, uh, if you were to watch the series, and we'll try not to be too spoilerific here, but if you watch the series, especially through season two, I don't know how far you've gotten. How far have you gotten?
1: I, I am like at more than halfway through. Um, I, I watched a couple episodes yesterday. I didn't realize how far behind I was on season two. Uh, okay. But...
0: So I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But when you get to the end of season two, you find out why we've never heard of Discovery in the past. In, in, in any incarnation that we've seen of Star Trek before, there is a reason why Discovery is a ghost. So that's all I'm going to tell you. Uh-huh. So, again, all the people that are like, well, they didn't have this spore drive back. Why didn't it there's a reason? Um, and and again, I'm not going to go spoilery, but there's a reason for it. Now, some people will get to that and they'll say, well, that's just kind of dumb. And I'm like, you know what, guys, you're writing science fiction. Um, sometimes you just kind of have to roll with some of the punches and and. You know say okay I, I it suspension of disbelief is a big part of some of these things now, in Star Trek, a lot of it is based on you know reality, real science and quote unquote you know uh theoretical science and yes, so on yeah, um I should say it that way um but uh, uh you know sometimes when you're just writing a story. Uh, you just kind of have to roll with what the story is telling you versus, you know, what you knew from 1960 <laughs> or over the 1960s. Guys, it's 2020. We got to upgrade stuff. We got to make it look cool for for modern audiences. And, and that's it. Now, there is other uh, it's similar to Enterprise. I don't know if you watch Enterprise as well.
1: Uh, I watched a little bit of it, but I honestly okay. could not get into it
0: it's rough Discovery or sorry, uh, Enterprise is rough, especially the first season. Once you get out of the first season, it kind of picks up and goes. And I would recommend that if you're a Trek fan at all, give it give it the the old college try, uh, because I think you'll end up enjoying what they do with it. But similar with Enterprise and some with Discovery, there are continuity canon story problems where 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 things don't quite Mesh up properly. And again, I will give the Trekkies those points. Um, but in the grand scheme, I kind of feel like those points don't really make much difference. And, and that's just for me. I mean, others are like, you know, I get super picky about retcons and reboots. And if you screw something up, you know, it's like I I can see it and it's there. It's like we all know the problems with the Star Wars prequels. You know, George wrote these damn things and even he couldn't write his way around some of these things that, you know, were in the original uh, original trilogy to fix them in the in the the prequels. So things just happen and you kind of have to just say, all right, they goofed, they, they made a mistake. But what is the whole of it that you're watching? And is it good? And the fact is, is that Discovery is good. Uh, It has great acting. It has great uh, characters. uh, It has great twists. It has uh, beautiful visuals.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) It is just great. To me, it is the best first season of any Star Trek series Since basically the original, because I don't know how you're better than the original, because that sets the stage for everything else. So but from next generation to DS nine to Voyager to Enterprise, Discovery is light years ahead in all aspects of of telling the Star Trek story for me. I was in immediately Um, just the fact that you have a character who's not just the captain of a ship anymore. It's you have a traitor as your your lead character. Right. I mean, that's that's way out there. This is this. You know, there's a lot of people that complained about Trek like it should be happy. And, and you know, we have this utopia and everybody's perfect. And I'm like, that's crap, guys. I mean, throughout the history of Star Trek, there's been traitors in Starfleet and, and guys with their own agendas and, oh, yeah. and all like, kinds of stuff. In, I mean, uh,
1: it, in the next generation, Picard was constantly running into other captains that were like doing morally shady shit. Yeah. Like that was yeah. a thing. Just people don't want to think about that. Yeah,
0: our lead characters were, were good, quote unquote, but there's tons of Starfleet problems. (laughs) And so, uh, to have Discovery, this, this experimental ship that's doing experimental stuff, um, you know, have a lot of sort of weird things happening, like, you know, the traitor and, and so on. And again, I'm trying not to be spoilery, but I will tell you that when you get to the second half of the first season, it will blow your mind. Um, I I just, I was in completely a hundred percent. The second season didn't quite grab me as much, but it was still good. I still enjoyed it. And, and I, I, like I said, I do enjoy, I'm, I'm okay with how they, uh, sort of ghosted discovery from history. And we'll see how that sort of plays out with season three. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think the show is great. I love the actors. I love the characters. Uh, Tilly is fantastic.
1: Oh, my God. do uh, you I, just I, love Tilly? I
0: never would have expected that Ugh. I would like Tilly, but Tilly is fantastic.
1: I adore her. Like, I want to be her <laughs> best fucking friend. Like, she yeah. is so cool.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Saru is an amazing Ugh. alien character uh, played by an amazing guy. I mean, it's it's all great. It's all great. Now, the other thing that I think people piss about is the fact that it's behind a paywall and that's really ultimately why people are upset about it because i have to pay for my show and i get it dude uh you know there's disney with the mandalorian and you know netflix has exclusives and so on but you know just it it, worst case scenario just buy the dvds they're out now just go get them that's what i did you know it's it's out there for you don't don't get too sweated about a paywall
1: well and Um, also you know Everybody shares their passwords, okay? Like I use my friend's <laughs> Disney Plus. We <laughs> I mean, all do it because you can use it on up to like five devices, whatever. So
0: oh, like, okay, sure. Like
1: okay. I don't pay for Disney Plus. I don't. I barely watch it, but there are certain things I wanted to watch, like the Mandalorian. So my friend said, "Here's my my password. Go in." Okay. I have CBS All Access, you know, and. Okay. I'd be willing to share a code with somebody I trusted, not like just a rando that's listening to this right now, but like I would share my codes with other people because I know what it's like to not oh, want to have seven,
0: like, gets the free code.
1: <laughs> there you go <laughs> there is that free yeah the the free week so you can watch you know wait till yes. book, like the whole season of picard comes out and though. then just binge it out yeah and then use that week to binge all of uh discovery and picard uh which i i didn't get to uh picard episode one yet but i'm really really excited um but yeah like uh back to um discovery there was also a lot of issues um from like social justice warrior you know people that were like you know pissed too many off. women they, they were they, they were pissed off well against social justice warriors whatever they were pissed because like there's a gay like lead care like the the doctor yeah, the captain
0: yeah the captains are women there's a gay dude you know it's yeah, oh, like, oh no um, and it's not
1: yeah there's like uh, like a black female lead there's female female captains there's a gay uh you know couple that's like in like, they, I mean, they're a huge part of the story. And I think, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're just doing this, you know. But it, you have to look at it. It's Star Trek. Star Trek is all about inclusivity and all about, um, you know, opening our ourselves up to new things. And so why wouldn't there be that much diversity and showing all these normal things that exist in the world?
0: They had the first you interracial know. kiss on TV.
1: Yes. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're... This show is about humanity coming together and learning to love each other, regardless of your, you know, whether you're an alien or a human or whatever the hell you are. So the, right. the show is going to show you all this stuff. And anybody that's pissed about it doesn't really like Star Trek. That's correct. You can't like Star Trek and then be pissed about that because then you don't understand what it's about.
0: They're they they think Star Trek is about Captain Kirk nailing green aliens. Right. And that's you know, that's one percent. You know, that's one percent. And we'll right. give the, that to you. You can have that. But at the same time, you gotta have all the other stuff because that's the Roddenberry vision of humanity's future. So, you know, it's it's it it, it is still one hundred percent for those that are like it's Star Trek for not people who don't like no, it's Star Trek. It's it's all of the things that Star Trek is supposed to have in it. Um Plus a lot of weird stuff that you would have never expected to see on Star Trek, which is kind of the point of telling a story.
1: Yeah. And like the whole Spore Drive thing is so freaking cool and like how they use it in the first season. Um, it, it was I was like just in awe of like not only the, like the technology, but how they portrayed it and how they used it in the story. It was yeah. so good. I mean, it was and people are like, oh, the writing's lazy. I'm like, how is the writing lazy? <sighs> How? Like, do you read well, books ever? Like, do you know letters? Do you understand and, and English? Yeah. And, like,
0: and I'll tell you this: most of the people that have those complaints have no answers when you ask them that question. How is it lazy? What was wrong? What was your problem with it? What was this? Well, it's just not Star Trek. Like that's the that's always the answer. Or it's just not Star Wars. Or it's just not Babylon Five. Or whatever it is. Um, they don't have answers. I, I I'm always open to hearing an answer. Tell me how. This was a problem for you. I want to know the answer. But there's rarely an answer for the problem. They're just trying to have their voice be heard, but their voice is not complete. It's just it's a it's an idea. It's a spec. Something bothered them. So I can say, okay, what bothered you? What was the problem here? And unless it's, you know, well, in episode you know, twenty-eight of the original series. The Andalorians did this and that, and in this, it doesn't work. I can say, okay, your canon is messed up. I get it. I accept that. But most of the time, they don't have those types of responses. It's just sort of, well, it's not Star Trek, and and that bugs me. Ha, it, complete your idea. Bring me a, an actual finished thought and rationale to what your problem is, and I want to hear it. I, I I'm always open for a good debate. Um, and and uh, uh you know clarifying facts and 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 canon and so that because I, i'm a big canon fan um but just for me nothing has happened canon wise that has uh you know thrown me off to to be upset about it
1: yeah i know and i absolutely agree and i didn't question it like i didn't question the the technology because i'm thinking okay well this might be set 10 years before the original series but we're talking about i mean this is like an experimental ship it's it could be in a completely, I mean, space is gigantic, right? So it could be in a different part of space. It could be, you know, there's so many different things that you have to think of. And again, it's not the 60s, so we have technology to make things look good. Yeah,
0: Yeah, right. It doesn't have to be made out of cardboard anymore.
1: Oh my God, when they showed um, at the the beginning of the uh, there's one episode in season two where they show um, the Andalorians uh, from the original Star Trek Mm -hmm. and they show like this paper like floating, but it's like you could see the strings holding the paper up, and I'm just <laughs> dying. Like I'm like people used to think this was the shit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It looked so <laughs> bad. Oh, oh my god. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a that was a fun moment for me. I enjoyed it. Sure. Um. Oh. One other thing that I read was that people are pissed off about how the Klingon the Klingons look, but if you look at every sure. um iteration of of uh you know Star Trek, they they always look different. Yeah. And um the one I I kind of understand the complaint with Discovery because it is kind of hard to tell apart um some of the Klingons because the way that they look is very very sure. similar. So if you're watching heavy, it,
0: heavy, much heavier makeup on these Klingons than usual. And so that kind of takes away the like you can't tell that like, you know, we know when we look at Worf and we look at Kern, we know the difference between them because you can see the actor. But right. in Discovery, they're there. It's way heavier makeup. So, yeah, I can I can get that.
1: Yeah. So I understood that. But again, that didn't take anything away from me. If you pay attention I mean, you can tell who these, you know, sure. who's who. Sure. It's just, yep. you know, it might be a little bit more difficult, but people always complain about um, the Klingons. Like, I swear to God, they complain about it every time a new show comes out. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, so what, it's like, what is the ideal Klingon to you? I mean, to me, it's obviously Wharf because uh, Michael Doran is a beautiful man and a beautiful Klingon, but, um, you know, that's just my opinion. I'm not the writer. I'm not the person who designed what a Klingon is. So my opinion isn't fact. <laughs> it's just <laughs> right. what I think. Right. And I'm not going to bitch about it because they did something different. Like, that's just childish. And that's, oh, that's the um, syndrome where you believe everything in the world revolves around you.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, there's even, there's even the, uh, when they did the the the, cl- the crossover with the, the Tribbles um, and you saw the original Klingons, which basically just looked like dudes. And then you saw Worf. And then there was the joke about, dude, what happened? And space basically like, we don't talk about what happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, just run with it. I mean, it's just, it's just alien makeup. Just run with it and, uh, and you'll be fine.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I read all this stuff and, you know, I just, there was nothing there in my opinion that ruins the show for anybody who really love Star Trek. And I've always been way more into Star Trek than I mean I I love Star Wars, but Star Trek has always been my thing. Um yep. you know my my father and I used to watch The Next Generation when I was a little kid. Um so it was one of those like bonding experiences that I had. So I grew up watching um uh reruns of uh The Next Generation and it was so important to me and the ideals that were put forth and how there was compassion and love and seeing people treating each other for the most part, the way that we should treat people.
0: Um,
1: And that ideal world, you know, I always, I always joked around uh, that I wanted to like buy a huge piece of land and then just, put a bunch of houses on it and be like, you can totally live here, but we're living by star Trek rules. Like <laughs> that's it. Like if you, if you fuck up any of these star Trek rules, like you're out,
0: <laughs> you're getting the red shirt.
1: Yes. Red shirted the hell out of here <laughs> like, because it, to me, it was just always, you know, ideal. Yes. There were obstacles in, in, in things, but it, Gene Roddenberry really, his idea for what he wanted humanity to be was just really beautiful to me. So that's always kind of spoken to my, to my heart and my nature. And, uh, I think that Discovery is definitely has the heart of, of Gene Roddenberry, and it's it's just exciting. There's just new fun stuff going on. So right,
0: and I think that's that's where I drifted from Star Trek because uh, I, I was a I was a fan of Next Generation. I wasn't deep. I was deep for a while, but then I kind of fell out a little bit, but I enjoyed it. Um, DS nine was a different thing. And then you got Voyager and you got enterprise. I kind of felt like we were just seeing the same thing you know, just a new iteration of the same thing. Uh, DS nine, a little bit different. It was a little, little darker, a little, little more going on. And, and I did like DS nine. Um, but then when we, especially when we got Voyager and and enterprise and stuff, it's like, this is, I'm just, I'm seeing the same thing. We've got a captain, we're doing a thing. We've got some guys that butt heads. It's like, ah, this is just the same thing. And so star Trek for me kind of just started to dwindle. Um, I did like the two J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, and then when Discovery showed up, I was like, damn, this is all different. And I was completely, completely in.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, and I, to be honest, like, okay, so I absolutely loved Next Generation. The original series isn't even, it's not my number one at all. It's obviously The Next Generation. Deep Space Nine sure. is my second favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, uh, well, and I was also watching Babylon 5, which I, thought, okay, so I don't, you've, you might know this, but so apparently the writers of Babylon 5 sent in, um, their idea for Babylon 5 to, um, was it? Ch- Paramount. To, yeah, okay, to Paramount. And so Paramount, yep. you know, read it and they declined it. And then right after that is when they started, uh, the DS9 yeah, showed up. They, yeah, they showed, <laughs> and so it's, if you, if anybody knows about Babylon 5, which is, It's, it is such an amazing story. There are some really bad special effects, but honestly, I am like obsessed with Babylon 5. It's so good. Um, but yeah, so it it's basically like the same type of thing as Deep Space Nine, where you have like this hub, a political hub, essentially, uh, and so you're having like all these people and all these alien races come in. And so you've got all these politics and, and instead of it being more of an exploration show, like the others were, this was like people were coming to them and there was more um political, uh, issues going on. But so anybody who's watched Babylon five and, and deep space nine, I mean, you can see that there's parallels, not necessarily in the story, but in the main setting. And, uh, so to me, I was just like, oh, man, that had to hurt. <laughs> but, you know, Babylon 5 got on the air. So and it did its yeah, thing. it lasted
0: a long time. And, and I hated it. And I hated the ending. And I, I will despise Babylon 5 for the rest of my life.
1: Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, no! oh yeah. OK. Oh, well- I hate
0: it. I hate it hate it, but you can like it. It's fine. I know a lot of, lots of my friends really liked it. I was not into it. They kind of dragged me into it and I kind of got into it for a while. I was like, okay, this is all right. And then we got to like the shadow war part and I was like, this is lame. All of this is terrible. Especially the ending part of it. Again, we're not dropping spoilers, even though they're thirty years old now. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I was not a fan of the ending with the Shadow War, and I was like, "This is lame, guys. You guys suckered me into this, and I'm I'm pissed." So I've never come back to Babylon Five.
1: I well, and I and I can respect that because I mean, it, it is what it is. I I enjoyed it. My one of my really good friends introduced me to it, and uh, so it for me it was kind of like this big event. Like I would go over there, and we would like. Oh, yeah. Stay up all night and he, watch parties. Like, yeah. Yeah. We would watch like sure. a whole season of Babylon five and, you know, talk about it and like get really into it. And it it was a blast for me. But so. um, But yeah, like I, <sighs> Voyager is OK. I and as much as I like the actress who plays Janeway, I was not super like into her as a captain. It had nothing to do with her being female. I just didn't like the way they wrote her character. Um, that was, my, I was, it's my opinion. And, and a yes, lot of people fine. disagree and that's fine, but that's why I, I think she, stopped watching. it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think she was good for what she was meant to be, which is the first female captain. Um, but I think a lot of her problems with with her character were just Voyager problems. I was bored beyond belief by that show. And I wasn't the only one because the dude that played Chakotay, he did an interview once, where he said that he was so basically unconnected to what they were doing that he would get a script and just read his lines and nothing else. He was just going through the motions and, and, you know, doing his job. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. So
0: yeah. <laughs> Voyager was rough. It was rough for a lot of people. Um I it, it it sent me out. I literally didn't finish Voyager. I did like the first two seasons and then I was out and then I came back for the finale because I the Borg were in it and I was like, Okay, let's see how they get back to Earth or whatever. But I basically skipped seasons three, four, five, and six. I did like the doctor. I like the hologram doctor. Oh yeah. Um that was a cool idea and 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 I love the actor. Um, he's fantastic. So Voyager wasn't like devoid of good things, but, um, it was not, it was not, uh, it was not holding me in any way, shape or form.
1: Yeah. Same. And so, yeah, I stopped watching that. And then when enterprise came out, um, like I didn't have cable, so I had to wait <laughs> to, to watch it. So by the time I got to watching it, I, I was super bored and I'm just like, I, I I'm going to give it another shot. I love Scott Bakula. The um,
0: first season, just forget it. Just. Forget it. Just move on. Go to season two. You won't miss anything, and uh, season two will kind of pick up and run. And then when you get to three and four, you're kind of like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Um, It does have probably the worst finale in probably in in some of all of television. It has a terrible finale, and unfortunately, it was because the show was canceled. I was going to say it got canceled. (laughs) Yeah, the other the other shows. I mean, they were canceled, but they got to run their course. In this case, they did four seasons. And they were like, "Not, nah, you're done. Just wrap it up," and uh, they had to wrap it up, and they did it in a really poor manner. But um, the rest of it was, you know, it, it's it's watchable once you get past season one.
1: Well, that's good to know because yeah, I th- I think I got like two episodes in, and I was so bored. Oh like, God, you yeah, really I really gave up. fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I gave up really fast because I'm like, I couldn't. I kept like pausing it, like getting up to do other stuff. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was so like uninvested in it. I'm just like, oh, sure. I wanted yeah. to like it, but you know, I'll go back because I, I do, and I'm probably going to end up, you know, finishing Voyager just, just to complete it, you know, and say that I, I've watched all the Star Treks, you know, but, um, I, I don't know, man. I think Discovery is doing something really cool and I don't care. I will pay to watch Discovery. It's worth it to me. It's just like paying for, anything else like HBO. There are shows on HBO that I've absolutely adored and I will pay to watch them. I paid my 15 bucks a month for game of Thrones. You know, we all did. (laughs) Well, 99.9% of the population did, or they, you know, got a code from their friend (laughs) to, uh, to, to watch it. But, you know, for good shows and for things that you are excited for, you know, to me, it's worth spending money. Sure. I spend money and, and on worse if, stuff in life. Yeah, yeah.
0: And if you're if you're spending the money on CBS, it's not like you're only getting Star Trek. Well, first of all, now you have two Star Trek shows. Uh, so that's that's the first thing. Uh, number two, you also have things like the Twilight Zone, the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone thing. Yep. Uh, you know, so there's other stuff there. Uh, so, you know, you're 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 not just buying Star Trek for, you know. 12 episodes or whatever it is so there there is value there assuming that you know you care about star trek and it's it's we're getting more star trek so they're filming season three of discovery yes. and then um they're supposedly going right into a section 31 type of show with uh uh, uh the with the the oh, God, i can never remember her name the the asian captain
1: yeah, and they're supposed to be doing a, a Captain Pike spinoff too. Like that's been greenlit.
0: That's rumored. Is it been greenlit officially? Yes. I've been hearing the rumors forever.
1: Hold on, let me let me pull up this article because let's see.
0: But even greenlit doesn't mean it's going to happen. They, that just means that they'll start to develop it and see if they can find a way to do it. Um, I'm I'm a hundred percent for it, uh, especially after what they do with season two Discovery. I'm a hundred percent for a Pike series, um, but. Uh, I feel like that's almost wishful thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can't find the article that I found earlier. Um but it said that it was either greenlit or that they've decided to put it into development, something like that. I'll have to do it while we're not recording because I don't want to waste, you know, our, our precious talk time looking, yeah. looking it up. But um so I I think that's cool. And you're right, there's a lot of other things to watch on um on CBS. So, you know, people just I say give it a chance. If you don't want to watch it, then don't watch it. That's fine. Um, but like, don't try to ruin it for the people that do like it. Like, we're not going to be mad at you for not liking it. But when you go and trash something that somebody likes, they we tend to get a little defensive. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, Again, if you if you've got a problem, I want to hear the specific Right. Don't just say it sucks. Don't just say it's Star Trek for people who don't like Star Trek. Don't, bring me something tangible, and uh, and then we can have a discussion
1: about it. Yeah, absolutely, that makes that that's that's the way to actually have a constructive conversation. Because it's like people, yeah, yeah, people
0: always are on me about, dude, you just hate everything. I'm like, no, no, there's plenty of things I like, and then when I do not like something, I bring you very specific things. And in often cases, I will also bring you things that I think they could have done to make whatever it was that I had a problem with better. Um, and that's that's how I always bring things. I don't just come in and say like, "Dude, that is some crap," and then that's the end of my argument.
1: <laughs> right, and, and that's very true because you know, obviously, I, I've known you. I've known you for some time now, and you do always have like you have. There's this, and then you explain it, and then this, and then you explain it, and then this. Like you always have. um, you know, you have something, you have reasons. It's not just because you're being a, a shit, you know? Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. you may still be <laughs> being a shit, but like at least you can back it up <laughs> with, <laughs> with reasons. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to put that quote on something somewhere. You're basically being a shit, but you can back it up.
1: <laughs> I like that
0: a lot. That's, that's super good.
1: Well, you're welcome. That was...
0: That's going to be a t-shirt. I'm basically a shit, but I can back it up.
1: that's that's how that's gonna work (laughs) there we go (laughs) oh my gosh well that was we talked about star trek for like a half hour we're so good at talking i love it but it was a necessary conversation
0: (laughs) yeah now do we go down the star wars wormhole now
1: I mean, we can. You know more about it than I do.
0: What did you get to see the last one yet?
1: No, I still haven't. I keep. Oh saying... well, then we
0: can't talk about it if you haven't seen it. Yeah,
1: dude, I suck. I, I okay. I promise before our next show that I will, I will go see the new Star. I haven't gone to a movie in so long. I'm so freaking lame. <laughs> I still haven't seen Jumanji too. We've talked about this. I'm sad about that more than I am about Star Wars. <laughs> but, you know, that's just. Uh huh. I really like Jumanji.
0: I, I like the last one actually. It was on. T- tv the other night and i watched it again and it it held up surprisingly well um so i'm i'm game for the second one here or technically the third one um (laughs) but uh uh i have some reservations so it'll probably be like a red box for me or a netflix or whatever but um i I like i did like the last one so you know uh, I'll, i'll give them a lot of credit for what they did there
1: yeah it's it was i've watched um you know Technically, the second one, but the first new one uh a million times <laughs> I'm that person, and it never okay. gets old i I just it's fun it's enjoyable, the effects are great like it's just yeah. one of those cute fun movies that you can watch and just enjoy, and it's not too heavy, even you know it, it is a little but it's not like too heavy, you know mm-hmm. like it's 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 lighthearted enough where, like, if you're having a day where you're feeling a little sad and you don't want to watch anything that's going to bring you down, you can watch Jumanji and you're entertained and you feel better. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I I will get to Star Wars. I will. It's going to happen. I, I wow, believe that's, that.
0: That's some kind of, like, nerd blasphemy, what you just said. I'll get to Star Wars.
1: I know. I know. It sounds <laughs> so bad. Everybody's like, you haven't seen it yet. I'm like, No. I didn't see uh,
0: This is only uh, the culmination of 45 years of storytelling stuff.
1: I know. And um
0: sort of kind of
1: when uh the you know the big Avengers movie came out Endgame, I didn't see it uh in the movie theater <laughs> because I'm like dude, it's 3 hours. I'm going to piss myself. And if I, you know what I mean, like I'm going to get up during this movie and I'm going to miss something. I don't care what anybody says. I hate that. You know. Oh my god. If a movie is over 2 hours like and I always, okay, so I'm dumb too. Like, I always get like the biggest <laughs> diet Coke or Pepsi that they have because I don't drink a lot of pop, but like, that's the thing that I allow myself to have at the movie theater. And so I'm just adding, you know, kerosene to the fire because I'm just drinking even more <laughs> while I'm watching the movie. And pretty soon my bladder's just, I always have to walk out of a movie to pee. It's just so bad. <sighs> So, yeah, yeah
0: you're one of one of those people, yeah.
1: It's the and and I get frustrated them because I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to miss something important, especially with a movie, you know, like you know, Endgame or Star Wars, where there's you know all of these you know these storylines finally coming together, and we're you know I don't want to miss anything, so sure, I waited yeah. till it came out and I rented it, and uh, I managed to avoid enough spoilers so that I still enjoyed it, uh-huh. and I was able to pause it like the five times I needed to. <laughs> Go pee, oh, so. <laughs> That's a true story, bro. <laughs> wow. I know. It's, yeah. I drink a lot of water and I have a small bladder. You got
0: to train that bladder stuff. You got to train it.
1: I know. I, I really do.
0: Like no bladder. It's just infinity gauntlet stuff. Right. You wait, you wait for Thor.
1: <laughs> I, if only. I mean, yeah. if, if, if my bladder would wait for anybody, it would be Thor, but you know, <laughs> Ah, Chris Helmsworth. But anyway, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that beautiful hunk of meat. Um, so we were or you had commented on something that one of our friends said earlier um, on Facebook. See, a lot of our conversations come from crap that we like discuss on Facebook.
0: Sure. Um, it's too hard to discuss it on Facebook. They're, they're, you know, you're sitting there typing. In the meantime, someone else is typing and it's just like, oh, my God, this is chaos. Right. So, yeah, it's it's way better to just take an idea and then uh, transplant it into a verbal medium.
1: Absolutely. Um, well, we were you had mentioned something about IP farming. Um, sure. And because there, were, there was a comment being made. Um, about whether or not your publisher cares about you or your book. And it just kind of, and you had mentioned, you know, the IP farming and okay. So (laughs) here's the thing. (laughs) This is, this is what made, you know, this is what I think about this whole thing. Um, Most publishers aren't going to push your book for you. That's just the way it is, especially in indie publishing. It's an independent like publishing company. It's not DC or Marvel and they don't even really have to push their stuff because people are already waiting for it. But they I mean they still do some kind of advertising somewhere somehow. I mean it but it's just they don't have to invest a lot in it. When you work predominantly in independent comics or independent press of any sort, you are going to be doing most of the legwork for your own book even if somebody's paying to print it in the long run there they have 20 30 40 50 other you know people that they're working with and publishing their books too and the more books that they take on to publish and get out there that's how you start doing this because you have to make money and there's no i don't I don't even know how to put this properly um I don't see I don't, I guess, expect much from most indie publishers trying to push your book. Now, I have seen um, certain companies that do, they do some, a little bit of marketing. It's not really a lot, but it's mostly from people that work exclusively on products for that company. So if you look at somebody like SourcePoint Press, SourcePoint Press does promote all their stuff, but like, they'll just like run one or two like little things for it. But then you see the creators of all those books constantly posting, Hey, this is where you can order it at Preview Worlds. They're making, you know, they're making content for their um, Instagrams that are all about their product. They're, you know, so they're doing most of the legwork still. And this is a company that's been around for years and, you know, is making movies now. And so they're one of the bigger independent publishers. But if you really look at it, the people that are writing these books and doing the art for the books are still doing most of their own marketing. And I think it's kind of bizarre to expect some crazy crazy marketing from an independent publishing company, in my opinion. So I'm gonna shut up now. And now it's your okay. turn. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna
0: tell you I'm gonna tell you why you're wrong.
1: <laughs> okay, please do no tell, no, I'm kidding because'm wrong because
0: every everything that you said is is completely valid except except that well, let me give you my definition of i p farming okay. more let's let's start there because I think we might have different uh differing viewpoints on what that is for me i p farming is basically a publisher who literally doesn't care about your comic book um he wants the i p Uh, Most of the time, when we're talking about IP farming, it's a publisher who is absorbing the intellectual property, Right. for those that don't know what IP means. They're literally owning the intellectual property, or at least a a majority stake in it, for the return of publishing the book. Um, So IP farming basically is two things. It's one, it's a publisher who wants to absorb as much IP as possible, because then it looks like they are some big thing. Hey, we've got a hundred different titles under our banner, blah, 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 blah. Um, Because then that then translates to, hey, Hollywood, look, we have a hundred different IPs under our banner and you should be looking at our IPs.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's to me is IP farming. It's not about the comics like at all. It's about consolidating IP uh, uh again owning it that's the real trick here is owning it right right know, taking it away from the creators and not really worrying about the comics but more taking it to hollywood and saying hey we've got all of this blah 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 they get something optioned maybe and the publishing house takes you know 90% of that money and then 10% goes back to the creator who actually created the thing right. meanwhile the comic is selling you know, a thousand units, who cares? What's, what's a thousand units? That's, that's nothing in the industry. So to me, that's what IP farming is. It's literally publishers who literally just aren't worried about what you're doing. Now there are publishers, uh, big dog Inc. is included in those that when we published other people's books, we did not take any IP. Um, our goal was to sell more comics for them, for big dog Inc. um, and sort of work in a, strength in numbers sort of capacity so there are definitely publishers who do that um and and they're harder to find um but they are out there so if you can work in a strength in numbers capacity which i kind of get the feeling that sourcepoint press is that um they kind of just all work together they kind of all go to shows together um but just under one banner i right. don't think there's any ip uh, actual IP percentages changing hands, or if there is, it's a very small percentage. Um,
1: yeah. as you, far you know as, what that is? Yeah. As far as I know, um, they still own their IP and that's the way it should be. Sure. And that was something that somebody, um, had, had told me, uh, actually I've had several people tell me that when I was, you know, saying I've got publishers looking at my stuff, they're like, look at your contract. If they want to own your IP, don't do it. Um, so I, I 100% agree with you. Um, about what IP farming was. I guess my
0: <clears throat> So let me let me let me go into the next step of yours, which was the promoting of stuff. Okay. Um I I believe we are in a in a market now where the creator has more value than the publisher name. Um and we're talking about small press indie guys now. We're not talking about Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, whatever. We're just talking about hey, here's Scout Comics, here's Vault Comics, here's Sourcepoint Press, here's you know, big dog ink, whatever the creator will have more value because people are coming to meet the people that are creating the things. Um, so definitely there's going to be more value in the creator being active in, in building his audience and, and so on and so forth. But that should never take away from the publisher being active in promoting whatever IP is under their umbrella. Um, and I think that the post that we were looking at was talking about the publishers that literally just don't care. They're just like, OK, we're taking your book. We're putting it in diamond. We sold thousand units. Uh, and now we're going to go talk to Hollywood because that's where we're going to make our money and And see you later. Like that's to me, that was what the post was kind of meaning versus the, the guys that, you know, like you said, like source Press, they kind of all talk about each other, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it really is up to you. It's it's kind of always been up to you as an independent creator. I mean, even right. even, um, I mean, I guess in the early days of Image, they had just momentum behind them, but even then, it was about the creators because nobody knew what the hell they were creating. Um, it, it was just, hey, Todd McFarlane's making Spawn. Well, what the hell is Spawn? I don't know, but I like Todd, so I'm going to buy spawn and then off to the races they went. So as an independent creator, um, you have to ask yourself, what is the value of the publisher if they're not doing anything for you? Because we exist in a world now, specifically now where you can do all of the things that a publisher could do for you. Let's assume the publisher did everything in marketing or whatever. Um, there's nothing that they're doing that you can't do. You are on social media. You can talk to diamond. You can talk to retail stores. You can do all of this. So the, really the only value is that logo in the corner. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask, what's the value of the logo is, is scout comics equal to vault is vault equal to dark horse is dark horse equal to Aspen is Aspen equal to big dog Inc? you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if in the end of the day, it is all on you anyway, why are you worried about being with a publisher? And that's kind of the question that everybody has to ask themselves. And I think if you can find the publishers that do in fact work together and are active in the community, like a SourcePoint Press, um, that is where you would want to land versus the very obvious publishers who are just like, yeah, just you know, give me that. We'll we'll make a few thousand books and then. We'll try and make a movie out of it. Um, and again, it also depends on what you're trying to get out of the, the medium. I mean, we're, I think you and I are both coming from the, the standpoint of let's make comics. Comics are fun. Um, we love comics. We love telling stories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If Hollywood comes calling, that's sort of the icing on the cake versus the the goal right. for, for us. So mm-hmm. um, again, there there are definitely publishers who can move you towards Hollywood faster, but – you're giving up your ip rights in in the uh you know to get that that little extra boost of speed um so you know I, again i think it's kind of a complicated sort of lots of moving pieces thing but um we are in the era now where you can do everything that a publisher can do for you except for their logo um and if all they're giving you is the logo then what's the point
1: oh yeah no 100% i agree with that and i guess my point and, and I agree with everything that you said too. Um, you know, you do, you definitely should want to land with a company that all works together, that cares about the product, that, you know, isn't just doing it to farm IP. Like I 100% agree. I think that, um, the company that I just signed with, um, is like that. And that was what attracted me to it because it's not only people that I know and I know are talented and have been working in the industry. Um, but it's very much like, a community of people that are, that put in the work that are going to lift each other up and you know what I mean? So it's like, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. Like, cause I do, I mean, my marketing is my own. I have always done my own marketing. Um, not always successfully mind you, because it is, uh, marketing yourself is very difficult. Um, it, and there's definitely a learning curve, especially if, if it's not something you've had to do before, um, when you're doing, uh, Stuff or, you know, trying to let people know you have a Kickstarter coming out or that you have a new comic and you're trying to come up with ways to like get that out there. You sometimes have to get creative and it takes a while to figure out, you know, the ins and outs of that. But you should always, always, always expect to push your stuff. If you're not pushed, nobody cares more about your work than you do. That's
0: the, that's it right there. Yeah. I mean, it's that's the underline that part because that's the truth.
1: So if you're not willing, And so that's when I read the post, I took it kind of as like, so why, like, why do you expect the publisher to work harder than you to sell your product? Because I don't. I personally don't.
0: Um, No, they should work harder, but they should be doing something.
1: I definitely agree that they, that a good publisher, if you sign with the right publisher for what your end goal is, then they should be helping to move you toward that goal. If they're not, regardless of what your goal is, if if the publisher is there to move you toward your goal and they're helping and it's the right direction for you, then that's great. If they're not, like you said, like, why, why are you giving, why even bother with looking into getting published with these people? And I think for a lot of people such as myself, my goal was okay. When I first started writing, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to self publish and I'm going to see, if I like doing this, and I did, and people liked that I was doing it, great. Okay, so then I set my next goal: I'm gonna build up a following, and then when I put out my next series, I'm gonna do my first Kickstarter. Boom, did that. Everything went great. My next goal was okay. I'm gonna try to find a publisher for. Now that I have this body of work, and people have seen my work ethic, and I, you know, worked with people in the industry, and I have, you know, I have stuff to show people now. So I was like, well. The next step, I've marketed the crap out of myself as best I can on my own. The next step would be to get my stuff into Diamond because, unfortunately, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. I'm not a huge fan of Diamond. I'm going to say that. But that as of right now, that is the main way that people are using to get their comic books into stores. I don't agree with that. I think... That monopolies... Well, it's the
0: it's the only way, really, um, because there are no other distributors. So, unless you're working directly with stores, which some publishers do, right? Um, but even in that co- capacity, you're you're talking about, you know, you're not suddenly selling five thousand units because you're working direct. I mean, it's uh, Diamond just puts you in front of the retailers for right. them to have the option. For you, for them to buy your stuff. For Absolutely. those that don't know, Diamond is the distributor for comics. They have a catalog every month that comes out with, you know, all the books that are available, and then the retailers choose from there.
1: Right, and that's why you'll see people like you can request comics from your shop. Like, you know, if it's in Diamond, they can order it. Um, it might not be something that's a huge title, but if it's with a publisher that goes through Diamond, they can find it in that catalog. They can order it for you. It's that's how you get you know, beyond using all of your own marketing tools, beyond using Kickstarter as a marketing tool and and trying to reach as many people as possible. For me, it was like, OK, well, Diamond is how I'm going to really grow my, you know, brand awareness and, and my people's awareness of what I'm doing. So that was my next goal. And the main reason I wanted a publisher, not because I felt I had to have one to be successful because I know a lot of people that have, um, you know, been successful. I mean, not like a ton and I'm not saying they're rich or anything, but what I am saying is that they've been able to pay their bills. Sure. By being an independent creator, owning their own stuff, doing their own marketing, doing all the work, selling their own stuff. And, you know, so it is possible. And so for some people, that's great. And if you can do that, I commend you. It is, it's a lot of hard work. Um, but, yeah, so for me, the only reason, the main reason I was looking for a publisher was to open up that door.
0: Sure. And um, that's what they can do. That's that's the value of that logo, everybody, right. is that they will open a few more doors to a few more eyeballs. Um, but in the end, it is still you talking to whoever you need to talk to 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 make sure that, you know. Even, even in the retail sense, because here I'm, I'm going to tell you a, a, some scary stuff. Uh oh. The re, the re, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, over the we've been doing this now for ten years. Uh we have heard stories from people who have gone to retailers to request our books, and the retailers have absolutely, one hundred percent, lied to them that they can't get our books. What? Yes. Rude. Yeah. Now, in some cases, it was because it was out of print. It's an older book. They can't get it. That is fair because floppy issues are not in print forever and you can't get them. Right. But when you go in and say to your retailer, hey, uh, Big Dog Inc. has, uh, you know, Legend of Oz coming out in two months and I want it in my poll box and they say that they can't order that book, they're lying to you. Yeah. And we heard that again and again and again. And basically the reason it comes down to is they didn't want to be bothered to go into their system and click one on their Legend of Oz box because it was a book that they weren't carrying to begin with. And that's the problem with the indie market with the retail section is that of the maybe 2,000 existing comic book stores in America, only about 500 of them order indie stuff in any sort of large quantity. Most of the other stores will either ignore it or buy it for, you know, the people that are requesting it. So you're talking about one here, one there, two there. Um, But we literally had people come to cons and tell us that their store told them they could not order our books. I'm like, that's completely false. So there's there's problems in the system. Um, from diamond to retailers. Now, retailers also have budgets and shelf space, and you know they have all kinds of their own problems to deal with. Absolutely. Um, but you would think that if somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I want to buy this book," and put money in your pocket, that they would go, "Oh, okay. Let me let me take the two minutes it takes to open up my order form and click buy one." But that's not always the case, unfortunately.
1: That is very true. Um yeah oh my god our hour we did an hour look at us i'm always like i don't know why i'm always surprised like when we get to the end of the show I'm like oh wow it's already been like an hour like we did we're good at conversations and stuff (laughs) (laughs) and there's so much oh my god there's so much more to even talk about like delving into diamond and all that other fun stuff but we'll save that for oh yeah i mean there's (sighs) there's just so much going on and i think you know because we want Part of the reason we're doing this show is to kind of give people who are just starting off or thinking about starting getting into the business some kind of idea of, you know, what's going on out there and, and how to do things and what to look out for. So I hope that that was informative oh, sure. and we'll definitely get more into, um you know, industry related stuff as we continue the show here in 2020. Um, But uh, so anything you want to add before we sign off?
0: Yeah, well, um, basically, let, let's leave it with this. Uh, those that are coming into the industry right now understand that the industry exists in a way that it didn't exist even 10 years ago. Everything is changing. And that's not just our industry. That is everything in the world and how you buy things. It is all changing and it is changing rapidly. Do not come into comics now and assume that everything works the same way it did even a decade ago because it doesn't. Um, there are far as a creator there are far more tools and opportunities for you on your own uh, that ever existed than when I started 10 years ago. Um, just be aware that the system that you think is the way quote unquote uh, is not the only way. And the way that we all understood buying comics and buying anything in America uh, is changing drastically and rapidly. And you need to be able to to move with all of that uh, or you're going to get left behind.
1: Very true. Very, very true. Look at those words of wisdom just dropping right out of your mouth hole. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I'm weird. Don't mind me. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll, I'll also say this. One, one last thing. If you're a creator and you want to start to get into comics, and I did this exact same thing, and I'm here now 10 years later doing this podcast and with my my company and my comics, go and buy Josh Blaylock's How to Self-Publish Comics, Not Just Create Them. That book will open your eyes to things you would have never, ever considered or thought about as far as the actual working mechanism of publishing comic books creating is almost the easy part you can write your books you can draw your books you can color your books but when you take that next step into actually publishing books even if you're going with a publisher this will help you understand what they're doing and, and how it goes uh it's called josh Blaylock's how to self-publish comics and not just create them and uh it will it will open your eyes and it will make you a better creator
1: yeah and he's um a really nice person and as uh I, I, he's but devil's do so, Correct. Yes. Yeah. Super cool guy. They put out some really good stuff, too. Um. All right. Um. And your Kickstarter. How many more days got? Yeah, the Kickstarter.
0: Got? Scheherazade uh, is on Kickstarter. We have like eight days. I think it ends a week from tomorrow. So it's like eight and a half days. OK. Um, we're we're going to be dropping some more uh, add-ons and some extra fun stuff. We're about to unlock a fourth stretch goal, which will get you all a, a J. Scott Campbell um, art poker chip, um, all kinds of fun stuff. So Scheherazade, we have about eight days left. Um, we've crossed the 300 backer mark again. So that's great. Um, it's all going well. It's, it's, uh, uh, being written by Carrie Castor who wrote the original Scheherazade. It is art by Nia Rufino, uh, complete interior art by Nia Rafino. So it is gorgeous. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be wrapping it up next Wednesday night.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm so glad everything is going super well with that. Like I, I didn't have any doubts or anything, obviously, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I always like to see, uh, people that I care about doing well and you always do well with your Kickstarter. So that is awesome. Um, and I just wanted to mention, um, uh, two things actually. So, um, March 1st, uh, which it's still three weeks away. Um, I'm doing uh, an artist roundtable meetup. I just had, I just did one in at the end of, or the beginning of February. So the first weekend of, Mar- of every month, I'm going to be picking a location and making, making, a, uh, three hour like window where people that are creatives, like writers, uh, artists, sculptors, painters, whatever you are, if you're creative, uh, that we can meet up, we can support each other, we can work on stuff together. Um, you know, if, the, if you have questions about, you know, wanting to learn how to get published and, you know, whatever, uh, if you're a creator and you want to meet up and talk with people that are like minded, um, we're doing the one March 1st at Coonan uh, Brewing in Warren, Michigan from noon to three. So um, there's a public event on Facebook. If you're interested, all the information is there. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, I'm trying to build more of a local commu- uh, community, like art scene. Um, I, there, There is some here. It's obvious, like Detroit, there's tons of creative uh, spaces here, but More for, I guess, people who I get to see randomly at conventions, but want to see more of and actually get quality time with. So (laughs) this is how I'm suckering them into it. I'm like, let's go to a place that serves really good beer and we'll hang out and talk shop. And, you know, you say beer and they will come. So <laughs> but all right. um, Thank you, Tom, for joining me. And uh, thank you, Universe, for not screwing up my day and letting me get here on time on the right day. And um, until next time, have a wonderful um, life. And <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks.